0: pastor here at center point fellowship and i'm so glad to welcome you here today for our uh, fourth and final installment our series on esther we're actually going to bring the series to a conclusion some of you who've been with us the last few weeks know that this story is kind of a cliffhanger uh you don't ever know from week to week the way we've broken up exactly what's going to happen and today we're going to bring it to a conclusion but it's a marvelous story of how god worked in and through the life of a beautiful woman named esther to save his people the jewish people from a wicked man named haman who wanted to kill them all and so i'm talking wicked on the level of hitler wicked Uh, i want to destroy all the jews in the persian empire about 500 years before jesus was born in bethlehem there's an outline of what i'm talking about today inside your bulletin and it's entitled esther mordecai and haman and that god loves irony if you need a pen to fill in the blanks in your outline just raise your hand one of our ushers will be glad to bring one to you and while they're doing that i just want to Welcome to folks who are watching by video over in Cloverdale and in Wetumpka and Pike Road. We even have a girl's Bible study that meets on uh, Tuesday nights in North Alabama. And uh, they uh, called me and this one girl got a, a Bible study in her dorm room going and she's using our outlines and they watch the video and then they have the, use the discussion group questions at the back for this. And she called and asked if that was okay. And I said, yeah, we'll let you do it. Okay. That's great. So. Uh, I want you to know that God is using uh, uh, ministry we provide here, ministry tools all over the place, and I'm excited about that. Would you have a word? Okay, we're applauding. Okay, that's good. All right. I would applaud that, too. So thank you. Let me have a word of prayer for us, and we'll jump right in today. Lord, I do pray that you would use the words that um, I speak today to encourage us, that you'd use the words from your scripture to open our hearts to whatever you want to say to us. And Lord, I thank you that you are working amazingly in our lives and the lives of people all around us to orchestrate events in ways beyond anything we could ever imagine. So today, Lord, I pray that you'll speak, you'll move me out of the way, and you'll show us some things we need to know from the story of Esther and its marvelous conclusion. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. First blank on your outline is this, irony, an outcome of events contrary to what was expected. I mean, situational irony, that's what it means, So that's going to gonna be our working definition uh, this morning and that is that um, God does things in ironic ways so outcomes you could never expect can happen. I'll tell you a story in my life. I was in seminary uh, years ago uh, working in a seminary class and if you've never been to seminary a lot of the classes involve discussions and sometimes the discussions are heated because people disagree on things. And one class I had is a uh, uh, current issues class where we talked about theological ramifications how the Bible could be applied to um, everyday life. And, and so you've seen how I do that. I just take the Bible for what it says. Well, there was a woman in one of my seminary classes that, um, did not look at the Bible the same way as I did. And she had a sharp disagreement with me and on a lot of different things. And I don't think she liked me very much because after one of the class discussions, she came up to me and said, I don't like you. So, um, <laughs> I took that to mean what she said, I took her to mean what she said. So, and, and so sure enough, every single time I would bring up something, she would countermand that or you know debate it or give a rebuttal of some kind and um, it was a fall semester class and there was the end of the semester's week before Thanksgiving I had an assignment everybody had assigned a week that they were assigned to give a report on their ministries and what God was doing in the ministry and other things at their local church and so my turn came the week right after Thanksgiving and I was reminded of that before we broke for class we broke class before the Thanksgiving break and uh, the woman said before we left the class. She said, "Well, whatever he says, I want a few minutes to give a rebuttal." I mean, nobody requested this for anybody else in the class. And the instructor said, "John, are you kidding?" I said, well, "Sure, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I wasn't even sure yet what I was going to say." So, um, so we leave class. Well, then uh, in that week right before Thanksgiving, I was in charge of a Wednesday night service where we had a worship service on Wednesday nights. It went from six to seven, and I had been in seminary class. I'd had ministry stuff and I was exhausted. And I just remember conducting this service and I was just at the end of the service there. We had a, then we had a response time just like we do here now where people would come up and pray if they wanted to. Afterward, we'd sing a song and people would come up and pray. And I was standing at the end of the service going, Lord, please don't let anybody come forward because I want to go home. Okay, so that was my prayer request. Lo and behold, as I'm up there, here comes, walking in the aisle, comes a homeless person. And uh, they go, I don't have uh, a place to stay. And I'm living in a kind of a refrigerator box out on the street and other things. And it's like, oh my goodness, this is now Wednesday night before Thanksgiving. And I'm just going, oh, I really didn't want to help get involved in all this. But then I realized as I was talking to this person, it's like, so I'm going to go home and give thanks for all my blessings and I'm not willing to help somebody. I mean, this is confessions of a pastor time here. Okay, all right. I was really tired and I went, do you have any family here in the Montgomery area? And they said, Oh yeah, and they did. And but I can't talk to them. And they'd had words and other things. And so, took this homeless person over to his relatives' house, and we spent some time reconciling. And they ended up hugging each other. And they were worried to death about him. And um, it was all good. And I got home late. And my wife said, You know, what, what was what was going on there? And I explained all these things. And it was a good evening of ministry. And the God and God really taught me then. John, you know, if you're going to be in ministry, you, know, you minister to who I bring you. So that kind of impacted me. And so the next week when I gave my presentation at that seminary class, I was supposed to talk about my ministry and what God was doing in that ministry. And I said, well, let me just tell you, I'm, everything I've been planning on, let me just scrap that let me tell you the big jewel that the Lord has taught me lately, and that's this, that I need to love whoever he brings me. And if I'm going to stand before people and say, if you want to come and pray, well, then I'm going to pray with whoever comes. And we'll deal with whatever happens because the Lord had arranged all this, it was clear. And then I sat down, and then the professor turned to the woman in the class and went, so what's your rebuttal? She went, well, uh, I really don't have anything to say. I didn't know he was going to say that. And so after class, she grabbed me and she said, why did you say that? And I said, well, because that's what happened. And God used that to break down a whole lot of things so I was able to reconcile with her. She had a lot of wrong notions about me. And maybe it was because of ministry in the past or hurts in the past. I wasn't sure. But the whole thing turned out in such an amazing way. I was at a Wednesday night service and all I wanted to do was do my job and go home. God brought a homeless person in that opened my eyes. I needed to care for people more than myself. So while God was teaching me a lesson, I was able to help this person reconcile with family and get them home. God used that situation where he was teaching me, helping the person, helping their family to help change the attitude of somebody who didn't like me. Now that would be ironic. an outcome events contrary to what was expected. Would we all not agree? And you can say, well, John, does God do that? He does it all the time. He's working in your life and in my life to bring about events, orchestrate events in ways that we could never... I mean, when I tell you that, I marveled at it after it all happened. I told my wife, you're not going to believe this. And God does this if we just keep our eyes open. Well, the conclusion of Esther works much the same way. Point one on your outline, ironically, Haman, who was a Persian noble who was very anti-Semitic, was defeated by a Jewish beauty queen. So an anti-Semitic, a man who hated Jews, a powerful Persian noble was defeated by a Jewish beauty queen. If you haven't been with us the first three weeks, the story of Esther happens 500 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. A powerful Persian noble by the name of Haman became basically the prime minister to a king named Xerxes, one of the few people in the world with two X's in his name. Uh, But Xerxes was the ruler of a superpower, the Persian superpower at the time, and Haman hated Jews. He offered a king's ransom if he could wipe them all out. In particular he hated one Jew named Mordecai. Mordecai was a cousin to Esther, the woman for whom this book in the Bible is named, the person for whom the book is named. Esther was Xerxes' queen. And Esther had come into power because Xerxes had been orchestrating a military campaign and he needed to wine and dine his nobles and officials. That was the way he made big decisions and carried on business. So he wined them and dined them for about six months. At the end of this six-month party, um, he had what he wanted with all of his agreements and he wanted to put icing on the cake by having his beautiful queen A woman by the name of Vashti come and appear before him and his drunken friends she refused and because she refused to come uh, he was advised by his advisors that she should never appear before him again and so she never did in her place to replace her a beauty contest was held and we've pointed out every week that this was the original bachelor show where uh, the king selected from all the most beautiful women in the whole empire one woman to be his queen Providentially, God arranged for Esther, a young Jewish girl who was very beautiful, to become Xerxes' queen. She was told by her cousin Mordecai, this Jew that Haman hated, not to reveal her Jewish identity. And so she didn't until the very end of the story. And uh, apparently Mordecai was aware of a lot of this anti-Semitic, there was an undercurrent going on in the empire. And so she became queen and providentially, she was in power when Haman had bribed the king if he, with a huge sum of money, like I said, to see if he could kill all the Jews. She went to see the king at the risk of her own life to beg uh, him to kind of to stop the law, to stop uh, the execution of her people from going into effect. Haman had issued a decree that on March 7th of the following year, all the Jews in the empire be annihilated. And so Esther, Mordecai had challenged Esther, Esther, you've got to go to the king, beg him to rescind this law. And she'd explained that if you walk into the presence of the king when he is in his court and you're unannounced, according to Persian law, if he doesn't extend the scepter to you and say it's okay for you to come in, you'll be executed on the spot. But she said, nevertheless, if I perish, I perish, I'm going in. And when she went in, she invited Xerxes to a banquet and she invited also Haman this wicked man who wanted all the Jews dead. She didn't come straight out with her request to have him rescind or repeal the law. Instead, she invited him to a banquet, actually to two banquets. Uh, She invited him, the king, and Haman to a a banquet where she told them she would invite them to one more. She knew the king made decisions that way after he feasted and drank, and so she was letting him know this was really important. She was using a lot of tact um, to get her point across. After the first banquet, Haman went home in high spirits, but he had to pass by Mordecai, who refused to bow down to him, even though everybody else did. And he was so angry about it that he went, at the advice of his wife and some others, he went and set up a 75-foot-tall pole in his courtyard. And the next day, the next morning, as his friends and his wife had advised him, he was going to see if he could go and ask the king to impale Mordecai on it. The only problem was that during the night, the king couldn't sleep, and he was reading through the records of his kingdom and discovered that mordecai had once saved his life but had never been rewarded for it and so the next day when haman came in to ask if mordecai could be impaled on the pole the king told him instead to go and parade mordecai through the streets proclaiming what a great hero he was for saving the king's life and so at the end of the day mordecai came home completely humiliated and this is where we pick up the action When Haman told his wife, Zeresh, and all of his friends what had happened, how he had to go through the parade, Mordecai through the streets, shouting, this is what the king does when he wants to honor someone. And he had to haul Mordecai around on that horse like that. When he told his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends what had happened, his wise wise advisors and his wife said, since Mordecai, this man who has humiliated you, is of Jewish birth, you will never succeed in your plans against him. It will be fatal to continue opposing him. Because even though they weren't worshipers of God, they still respected that the God of the Hebrews is a mighty God. While they were still talking, the king's eunuchs arrived and quickly took Haman to the banquet that Esther had prepared. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. On the second occasion, while they were drinking wine, the king again asked Esther, Tell me what you want, Queen Esther, and you know, if he was, if he was listening to the spice girls, he would have said, tell me what you want, what you really, really want anyway, (laughs) but he probably wasn't. So we'll just move on. So tell me what you want. Queen Esther, what is your request? And I'll give it to you. Even if it's half of the kingdom and queen Esther replied, if I have found favor with the king and if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people will be spared for my people. And I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter and annihilate us. Who would do such a thing, King Xerxes demanded. Who would be so presumptuous as to touch you? And Esther replied, this wicked Haman is our adversary and our enemy. Now Haman's having a bad day right now, okay? He went into the king's palace that morning to ask if he could execute Mordecai and impale him on a pole. Instead, he wound up parading him through the streets, showing him honor. From there, he goes immediately to Esther's banquet, and he's thinking, well, he's at least being honored by the king and queen, and now the queen calls him out as the one killing all the Jews, and he never knew she was Jewish until that very minute. So this is bad. Things are going from bad to worse. Who would do such a thing, King Xerxes demanded? Who would be so presumptuous as to touch you? Esther replied, This wicked Haman is our adversary and our enemy. And Haman grew pale with fright before the king and queen. I'll bet he did. And then the king jumped to his feet in a rage and went out into the palace garden. Haman, however, stayed behind to plead for his life with Queen Esther, for he knew that the king intended to kill him. I mean, the king is going out for some fresh air. His queen, whom he loves... Who is so beautiful has begged him to spare her life. He realizes now that Haman had manipulated him and tricked him into signing a law that could never be revoked because it was signed with his signet ring, the ring of the Medes and the Persians, which meant it could never be repealed. And so now he was involved in this. And he's just going, "Oh my goodness, how do I get out of this?" And so he's out in the garden, thinking, getting some fresh air. Haman stays behind with the queen. If you think things are bad, they get even worse. Well, Haman stayed behind to plead for his life with Queen Esther, for he knew that the king intended to kill him, and in despair, he fell on the couch where Queen Esther was reclining. Historians tell us that the Persian kings, no man was allowed to come within seven steps of a Persian queen. Okay, that was because she was the king's own. And so he fell on the couch next to her, which would be really a um, bad thing. So he he fell on the couch where Queen Esther was reclining just as the king was returning from the palace garden. And the king exclaimed, Will he even assault the queen right here in the palace before my very eyes? And just then, as all this is happening, Harbona, one of the king's eunuchs, said... Haman has set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall in his own courtyard, and he intended to use it to impale Mordecai, the man who saved the king from assassination a few years ago. I mean, how does this get worse? I mean, it's just not. And the king says, well, then impale Haman on it, the king ordered. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had just set up for Mordecai, and the king's anger subsided. So if you want to know, does God love irony and where I got the title? Oh, yeah, this is an outcome of events completely opposite of what everybody expected. Haman was rich and powerful, second most powerful man in the kingdom, and yet all of his plans were undone by a Jewish beauty queen. Haman set out to destroy all the Jews, and what had incited his anger originally was that one Jewish man, Mordecai, wouldn't bow down to him. But it wasn't enough for him just to kill Mordecai. He wanted to kill all the Jews everywhere because Mordecai wouldn't bow down. Yet Haman was killed because he was bowing down to Mordecai's cousin, Esther, a Jewish woman. That's irony. He set up a pole to impale Mordecai, and he was impaled on it himself. Esther started out the banquet pleading for her life. Haman ended the banquet pleading for his. God wins. Now, I want you to understand this. Here's the note here God is just and he will punish wickedness. God is just. You could write evil next to that. Evil will be punished. Saw a um, special on the History Channel not long ago where, after World War II, a lot of the Nazi leaders were rounded up and put on trial for war crimes. Some of them committed suicide. And some of the people commenting say, well, You know, they committed suicide, so they never faced justice. Oh, that's not true. No, that's not true. God is just, and justice will be served, either in this life or the next. David reminds us of this in Psalm 7. The wicked dig a deep pit to trap others, and then they fall into it themselves. The trouble they make for others backfires on them. The violence they plan falls on their own heads. I will thank the Lord because he is just. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. That's exactly what he did to Haman. The very trap that he had set for the Jews was sprung on him. And God turned it completely around. Psalm 37, David again wrote, Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. The Lord just laughs, for he sees their day of judgment coming. Their swords will stab their own hearts, and their bows will be broken. Y'all, we worship a God who is just. If that's good news to you this morning, will you say amen? Amen. Yeah. We can trust him. Here's another reference for you Proverbs 26, 27. Here's what it says If a man digs a pit, he'll fall into it. If a man rolls a stone, it'll roll back on him. So if you're planning on digging a pit, I mean, to trap somebody, don't do it. I'll just tell you that. God is just. But there's another life application that is terribly important for us here. And that's this. We don't need to get even with those who have hurt us. Instead, we must show kindness. Well, what am I talking about? I'm talking about how Paul made the connection here in Romans 12. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I'll take revenge. I will pay them back. I mean, he's the one who took revenge and paid back Haman. God says, I can do this. That's why these stories are recorded for us, so we will trust God to handle things His way and in His timing. I'll take revenge. I'll pay him back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. I mean, God doesn't want to punish us all the time. He wants us to repent and come to Him. Well, the best way for that to happen is for people to see those of us who've experienced God's grace paying it forward because God has forgiven us. I can forgive people who've hurt me. I mean, if God's forgiven me, I can forgive those who have sinned against me. I've sinned against him a million times more than anybody's ever sinned against me. You can do the same, but John, if I forgive them, how do I know there's going to be justice? How do I know this person's going to get what they deserve? Well, God says, that if there is any score to be settled, I'll settle it. I mean, that's why Jesus died on the cross, you know, to settle the score for my sins and for yours and for the sins of the whole world. I mean, God knows how to settle scores. And so, this whole story, I mean, let this be a reminder to you, if God knows how to handle Haman, He knows how to handle people today, too. You and I don't have to seek revenge We don't have to get even talked with someone right after the last service and they told me they said man I'm glad I came here today because I've been so angry and it was toward a family member who had really treated them terribly I've hung on to that it's really made me bitter I said yeah I mean you understand this if you and I practice revenge and we keep thinking about how to get even I mean holding a grudge It's like drinking a cup of poison every day and hoping the other person gets sick. He'll destroy us. And so Paul says, hey, look, you just be kind. And when you and I are kind and forgiving to people who don't deserve it, it just heaps shame on their heads. And they go, okay, I want this kind of life that you have. And God will change us, He'll change them. Another life application we can draw from the story of Esther and Haman and how all that turned around is this, is that God, if you flip your outline over, that God loves to use ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. I mean, you don't need to miss this. A powerful noble was undone. I mean, this is a wicked guy, and he was completely undone at the hands of a beauty queen. I mean, God takes great pleasure in using ordinary events and having his hand work through all kinds of circumstances that we could never have guessed to work in mysterious ways to accomplish his work. And God loves it. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 1. God chose things that the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. God loved choosing Esther to shame Haman. And he chose things that are powerless, a young Jewish woman, to shame those who are powerful, a rich noble. God chose things despised by the world Counted it as nothing at all, and use them to bring to nothing at all what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. And I love that. You know, occasionally I have people come to me and they say, Well, I'm a part of the church here, and I just don't know if there's any place for me to volunteer, because I'm just an ordinary person. I promise you, if you come to my office and you tell me that, you will be in for a 20-minute sermon right on the spot. So... Because we're going to get out this passage and we're going to read it how God loves to use ordinary people. I can't lead a small group, John. I've never been to seminary. I'm just an ordinary person. God loves to use ordinary people to lead a connect group. I can't go on a mission trip, John. I've never even been outside the United States. God loves to use ordinary people on mission trips. I can't tell my neighbors about Christ. I mean, I wouldn't know what to say. I wouldn't wouldn't even know where to begin. I'm not Billy Graham. God loves to use ordinary people to tell others about him. God loved to use a Jewish beauty queen to scramble all the plans of this guy who thought he had it all figured out. That's just the way God is. He is awesome. And so if there are events in your life and in my life that seem to all be going the wrong way, well, it ain't over yet. From our perspective, it might be. God's perspective, mm, he he sees outcomes we can't even possibly imagine. And that brings us to point two. Ironically, Mordecai received Haman's wealth and title and the Jews overpowered their enemies on the very day Haman had scheduled to wipe them out. Originally, Haman had gone to Xerxes, offered him this enormous sum of money to have the power to wipe out the Jews. The king had said, okay, if it's that important to you, here you go. He gave him his signet ring. Haman had sent out an edict that on March 7th of the next year, all the Jews should be annihilated and everyone who killed them could seize all their property. And that's when Mordecai and Esther had become alarmed and that's why Esther was willing to risk her life to go see the king. Well, now that Haman was dead, everything turned around. Listen to this. This is from chapters 8 and 9 of Esther. King Xerxes gave the property of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, to Queen Esther. And then Mordecai was brought before the king, for Esther had told the king how they were related. And the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken back from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed Mordecai to be in charge of Haman's property. So think of the irony again. Haman had rolled the dice to choose a day when all the Jews would be executed and the edict had gone out. If you kill a Jew, you can have all his property. In the end, Haman was the one who was executed and Mordecai got all his property. Oh, this is great. <laughs> well, then King Xerxes appointed Mordecai to be in charge of Haman's property. And King Xerxes said to Queen Esther, Mordecai, the Jew, go ahead and send a message to the Jews in the King's name. Tell them whatever you want and seal it with a King's signet ring. But remember that whatever has already been written in the king's name and sealed with his signet ring can never be revoked. So you couldn't repeal the first law, but maybe you could write a second law that would countermand it, that would kind of balance it out. And that's what they did. So on June 25, the king's secretaries were summoned and a decree was written exactly as Mordecai dictated. The king's decree gave the Jews in every city authority to unite to defend defend their lives. They were allowed to kill, slaughter, and annihilate anyone of any nationality or province who might attack them or their children and wives and to take the property of their enemies. The day chosen for this event throughout all the provinces of King Xerxes was March 7, the next year. So on March 7, the two degrees of the king were put into effect. On that day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, but quite the opposite happened. It was the Jews who overpowered their enemies. Haman, the enemy of the Jews had plotted to crush and destroy them on the date determined by casting lots. The lots were called Purim. But when Esther came before the king, he issued a decree causing Haman's evil plot to backfire. And Haman and his sons were impaled on a sharpened pole. That's why this celebration is called Purim, because it's the ancient word for casting lots, or rolling dice. Jews today, next March, March 4th and 5th is when in 2015, is when Jewish people will celebrate Purim in the spring. It's still celebrated every year. It's a big holiday because it reminds them that as God's people, God was looking out for them. He used a Jewish beauty queen to overcome this wicked noble Haman and God even used the same day that was originally marked for their execution to be a day of victory and blessing. And it goes together with Proverbs sixteen thirty three: We may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. And Purim really means dice day. Because Haman threw the dice, but the Lord determined how they fell. He thought he was going to get rid of all of God's people, and God got rid of him. God wins. And we forget that in our culture today. Haman thought he was powerful because he was second in line next to the king, to King Xerxes, who was the most powerful, one of the most powerful emperors of the day, if not the most powerful emperor in the world, but he forgot that God is King of Kings, and he wasn't worried about Haman at all. Now, there's a life application for you and me in all of this. If God is this wise and this powerful, and this amazing then God can turn hard or painful things in our lives into blessings for us and others. This was, a power, this was a painful and hard episode for Esther and for Mordecai and all the Jews. I mean, they literally thought they were all going to be executed. It was terrifying for her to go before the king. She didn't know whether she would be executed right then or not. But she trusted God and God rewarded her. And God used that painful episode in her life to be a blessing for all the people throughout the empire. What if God was working through painful episodes in my life and in your life to do amazing things too? Hmm. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers in Genesis. And in Genesis, 50 years later, he reflects back on this. He says, you know, you intended to harm me but God intended it all for good, and he brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. His brothers had been jealous of him. They sold him to some slave traders who took him down to Egypt. And they thought they got rid of him, and they didn't care whether he lived or died. And later on, Joseph told me, you know, you did this to get rid of me. God used this to put me exactly where he wanted me. You thought I was going there to die. God brought me here so all of you could live. What if God's going to take you and me through some hard circumstances so we can be a blessing to our kids, a blessing to our spouse, a blessing to our friends, and we're going to gain some insight ourselves? I mean, that incident I started out, that story I told you at the beginning of this message, I mean, God was speaking to me so that I could be a blessing to someone who was homeless and really helped them, but he was also using that whole episode to be a blessing in the life of someone who had no connection to any of it. And what if God's doing that in your life too? And what if we just accepted that that's the way He works in amazing ways? And what if we trusted Him instead of worrying and being so afraid all the time and being angry every time something doesn't go the way we want it to go? Romans 8 28, Paul says, We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. I mean, will I really believe that? What if it's a delay? And what if something I really want takes a lot longer than I ever thought? And what if people have been mean to me or rude to me, and they haven't said they're sorry? And what if God used even that pain in my life to help me help somebody else who's going through a similar circumstance? Isaiah 53, 5, this even applies to the work of Christ prophet isaiah predicted this long before jesus suffered it on the cross but here's what happened he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed do you realize that when jesus christ was nailed to the cross and he died the irony of that is this he died because he died you and i can live because he was punished we can go free Because he suffered, we can experience great joy. Because he became human on earth, we have the promise of having eternal life in heaven. You talk about irony. I mean, the whole gospel is ironic. Can you imagine the angels in heaven when Jesus came to earth? Yeah. Did you hear about this? God's got a rescue plan going. He's going to send his son into the world. Is he going to take like 10,000 of us with him? I mean, because that's the way I would do it. I would take 10,000 angels and spaceships and the biggest, strongest angels, and we would come down here and get things in order in a hurry. You know how Jesus came? As a baby born in a barn. What? Yeah, that way I I can experience every single hardship that anyone has ever experienced. There'll be no one who has any excuse. The devil thought he won his greatest victory when Jesus was nailed to the cross. (laughs) The cross is the very thing that brought you and me life. The cross in the days of the Romans was an instrument of torture and death. Worse than an electric chair. And now you and I wear a cross around our necks as a piece of jewelry. Put it on the cover of a Bible because it's a symbol of hope and peace. Can you imagine wearing a little gold electric chair around your neck? Why are you wearing that? And that's what the cross was. And yet Jesus turned it inside out. Haman thought he was about to have his revenge on Mordecai. And God took that entire event and turned it completely inside out. And Haman was the one who lost everything. So why are we worried all the time? Why are we angry at God when things don't go our way? Why do we not trust him? and extend the forgiveness he's given us toward others who also need forgiveness and say, God, if there's any score that needs to be settled, you settle it. I trust you. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for Esther and I thank you how you worked in her life and the lives of Mordecai and Haman and even Xerxes. Lord, you orchestrated the whole thing in such a way it's just amazing. Esther's life was not only preserved, but she became a great hero among her people. and She has a book in the Bible. A Jewish girl who was just a beauty queen. And Father Mordecai, he received everything that Haman wanted to hoard for himself. And Mordecai got it all. And Haman was the one who was punished. And Lord, if you can do amazing things like that, then Lord, why don't I trust you with the situations I face? In just a moment of silence. If there is something you need to surrender to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm trying to carry and solve things, carry big problems and solve problems that I can't carry. Lord, I'm going to ask you to guide my life and to work out problems that I can't work out on my own. Just a moment of silence. Would you pray that and say, God, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I need your help with this especially if it has to do with bitterness towards somebody else who's really wronged you. God, would you help me to love people who aren't lovely? Would you help me to forgive people who haven't been nice to me at all? I trust you, Lord. If there's any score to settle, you'll settle it. You're bigger than me. You're smarter than me. And if Haman's account is any indication, Lord, you can do things better than I ever dreamed of. Lord, I pray that we will trust you, that we will bring all our requests to you, and that we will face the future unafraid. There is nothing that you cannot handle. And Father, I pray that you would even help us view the hard and painful things in our lives as a blessing. Because who knows what you're going to accomplish through them. We may not understand until 20 years from now. We we may not understand until we get to heaven some of the things that you were working in our lives. Help us to trust you anyway. Finally, Lord, we thank you for Jesus who lived our lives, who died our death, who rose again on the third day, ascended into heaven, and one day he's coming back to get us soon. Thank you, Lord, that by his stripes, by his wounds, we are healed. We pray these things in the name of Christ, our Lord.